Hi everyone, it's Dr. Cassie. Welcome back to this Vetfolio Voice episode brought to you in part by Zoetis. Today we're here to talk about an issue that many of us struggle with in day-to-day practice, and that's helping to recognize and manage chronic pain in cats. Leading the discussion for today is Dr. Joyce Logan. Dr. Logan received her veterinary degree from The Ohio State University in 1988 and began her career practicing at a small animal hospital in New Jersey. She left private practice to work in the animal health corporate world and has had the opportunity to work for various animal health companies, including Hills, Novartis, and Bayer. In 2010, she joined Zoetis and is currently the veterinary medical lead supporting parasiticides. She has a special interest in the areas of veterinary communication and vector-borne disease. And with that, I'm excited to hand it over to Dr. Logan. Dr. Logan, take it away. Thanks for the introduction, Dr. Cassie. I'm gonna talk to you today about chronic pain in cats. As you may have heard, or probably already know, cats do not always tell us when there's a problem. And this couldn't be truer than when they're experiencing chronic pain. Chronic pain has a negative impact on quality of life and can impair the owner-cat bond. We know that pain is complex and multidimensional with pathophysiological changes affecting behavior and quality of life for the cat and the owner. The International Association for the Study of Pain, the IASP, has defined pain as an unpleasant sensory or emotional experience associated with actual or potential damage or described in terms of such damage. What I'd especially like to draw attention to in this definition is the idea that pain is both sensory and emotional. Because while pain is a universal experience, it's unique to each individual and is a very subjective phenomenon. I'm concentrating on chronic pain today, so how does that differ from acute pain? In general, pain has been defined as acute or chronic based primarily on how long it's been going on. Historically, we say that chronic pain is any pain that lasts more than three to six months. However, that's arbitrary and it's difficult, if not impossible, to pinpoint exactly when acute pain becomes chronic. Instead, the terms adaptive and maladaptive are being used in place of acute and chronic, giving a more objective definition. Adaptive pain is what keeps us alive and protects us from injury or damage. It's responsible for our survival, protecting us from injury, or promoting healing when injury has occurred. For example, if we cut our finger, we may avoid using it until it's fully healed because it hurts to use. The pain tends to be short, changes to the nerves are temporary, so it's reversible, And when the injury heals, the pain goes away in relatively short period of time. In contrast, maladaptive pain has no apparent biologic value. It's persistent and leads to modification of the pain pathway by causing structural changes that don't always return to normal once the injury heals. There's no clear endpoint, and in essence, pain becomes its own disease. An important point is that maladaptive pain may develop from poorly treated adaptive pain, which is why controlling pain is so vital. In contrast to adaptive or acute pain, cats with maladaptive or chronic pain don't usually show clinical signs that we might expect in a painful animal. The changes in their behavior are subtle and slow, and they may not show them in the exam room where they're stressed and scared. Let's think about the example of pain associated with osteoarthritis in cats. Osteoarthritis is a common cause of pain in cats and can decrease their quality of life. 
there have been a few different studies conducted over the years to try to assess the prevalence in cats. In one study, 61% of the cats more than six years of age had osteoarthritis in at least one joint. There was another study done by Dr. Duncan Lascelles that prospectively looked at a cohort of cats between the ages of six months and 20 years of age and evaluated them for radiographic signs of DJD. 91% of cats between six months and 20 years had damage in at least one joint and 90% of cats over 12 years of age had evidence of degenerative joint disease. If so many cats have osteoarthritis, but don't overtly show their pain, how can we tell if they hurt? Key lies in understanding cat behavior and learning to recognize what can be subtle changes. The owner won't necessarily hear them crying in pain, but instead will notice that their cat may not be doing some of its usual cat activities. That's why just asking, is your cat in pain, isn't enough. Instead, it's critical to get a very good history and to really listen to what the pet owner is saying. They may notice the changes, but they don't understand what those changes mean, and they need you to be the interpreter. Because unfortunately, when a cat doesn't jump up on the counter like it used to, it's eating less, or it doesn't come upstairs to sleep in the bedroom anymore, it's often written off as slowing down or that they're just getting old. For us to determine if a cat is acting abnormally, we need to understand what normal behavior is for that cat. What we know is that their instincts come from being solitary hunters, and so you need to examine their behaviors through that lens. Cats live in a vertical world. They like to have high places to escape, to sleep, and to feel secure. This can sometimes help identify an issue if a cat is no longer doing these activities. To keep from becoming someone else's dinner, their survival is based on avoidance and evasion. In fact, turning and fighting is the very last thing they would like to do. They'd much prefer to run away. It's also essential for them to hide any signs of weakness or pain in an illness, and that's why it's hard to detect a problem early on. A good clue to listen for is if the client says things that indicate the cat is no longer living in that vertical world. The types of behaviors that clients may notice can be divided into two categories. The active category, which are basic normal cat movements, and cats need to be able to perform these with ease and fluidity that we normally associate with them, such as going upstairs or downstairs with fluidity, running easily, jumping up on the counter or high place in one easy leap. The inactive category is more associated with the cat's quality of life. This would be their level of enjoyment, their happiness and their engagement. Are they hiding more than usual? Do they not want to interact with you when they used to be interacting with you all the time? Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, it's the inactive signs that are more noticed by owners than the active ones. And they're usually only apparent in the home environment. That's why owners really need to be involved in chronic pain assessment. In addition to sharing behavioral details that we might otherwise not get, their participation helps to empower them as part of the healthcare team. These types of signs and behaviors can be assessed through clinical metrology instruments or pain scoring tools that have been developed and can serve up useful questions that a veterinarian can ask of an owner to identify cats with musculoskeletal problems. One of these is the Feline Musculoskeletal Pain Index, or the FMPI, which was developed by NC State College of Veterinary Medicine. It's currently the only clinically validated instrument for diagnosing and monitoring feline chronic pain arising from degenerative joint disorders. The cat owner can be asked to complete the questionnaire before the, coming to the hospital, and it can be used then regularly to assess response to treatment or to monitor the effectiveness of the treatment. Besides osteoarthritis, there are certainly other diseases in the cat that are associated with chronic pain. 
However, valid pain scoring systems don't yet exist for these conditions. Some of these include diabetic neuropathy, chronic pancreatitis, hepatitis and inflammatory bowel disease, stomatitis, feline interstitial cystitis, and of course, neoplasia, because there aren't any validated pain scoring systems for these diseases and syndromes careful questioning of the pet owner is even more crucial in determining the amount of pain that that cat is experiencing. Is the cat no longer using the litter box? Do they have difficulty with stairs or they can't jump up on the couch anymore? Recalling that cats live in a vertical world, anytime they decrease that space may be a red flag that they could be in pain with a diminished quality of life. For these animals, an analgesic trial of opioids plus or minus an NSAID may be worth considering because the best way to uncover if there's an element of pain is to see if there's a response to pain control. Now, there are many treatments available for chronic pain, but there aren't any medications that are FDA approved for long-term use in cats. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are available in cats, but in the United States, the indications are only for post-surgical pain. That leaves us with options of using products in an off-label fashion and looking for non-pharmacologic methods to make these cats more comfortable. These would be things like prescription diets, fatty acid supplements, chondroprotectants, and the list goes on. Rehab, acupuncture, platelet-rich plasma, and stem cell therapy may also be considered. Finally, the cat owner can make an enormous difference in their cat's quality of life through environmental modification. For instance, in cats that have pain due to OA, you can help the owner find ways to make it easier for their cat to have access to its favorite places by using steps or ramps. That way they can still reach the windowsill that gets the afternoon sun or get up on the bed to take a nap. Don't ask a painful cat to go up and down a lot of stairs to access the litter box. It really hurts. And make sure to have a litter box with at least a portion that's low enough for the cat to climb in, even if it has severe osteoarthritis. The owner can elevate the food and water to make it easier to reach and they won't have to crouch down if they're hurting. So what does the future hold for chronic pain controlling cats? It's been nearly 30 years since a new drug class has come along to treat chronic pain. NSAIDs remain the only approved drug class for chronic pain, and of course that's only for dogs. A promising area of research for both dogs and cats is looking at other pain mediators and receptors, in particular nerve growth factor, or NGF. NGF is a neuromediator and it's been shown to play a critical part in the pain pathway, and so it's been looked at by researchers as a desirable target to block its activity. Currently, anti-NGF monoclonal antibodies, also called MABs, have been developed that bind free NGF and therefore stop its ability to bind with the pain receptors. These MABs are being studied for use in dogs and in cats. Feline chronic pain is often underdiagnosed, mainly because cats keep their pain close to the vest and they may only let us know they hurt through very subtle changes in their behaviors. In particular, feline osteoarthritis is very common with a prevalence that increases with age and may be as high as 60% or even 90% of cats. An opportunity exists to diagnose these chronic conditions by careful questioning and actively listening to the cat owners. Involve them in the discussion. Tell them what to look for. Sadly, pain can damage the bond between the cat and the cat owner as well as have a negative impact on their quality of life. If you start looking for pain in cats, you may end up diagnosing it more frequently, especially through the use of checklists that focus on behaviors often associated with chronic pain. Finally, new targets for pain control are being explored, such as nerve growth factor, and hopefully in the future, our treatment toolbox for chronic pain in cats will have additions that can help all involved. Thank you for listening.
Thank you, Dr. Logan, for joining us and for sharing your time and your expertise with us. And thank you to Zoetis for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to find more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on Vetfolio's webpage. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. Thank you.